Find a formula that fits with you and stick to that one formula. You can decide to move on later, but one formula at a time. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip, and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, Ivan Barrett. Hey, Joe. Hello. Nice to have you on the show and looking forward to diving in and talking multifamily and redevelopment projects, which is what you and your team are focused on. A little bit about Ivan. He is the founder and CEO of his company, Barrett Asset Management, otherwise known as the acronym BAM, which I really enjoyed reading on your website. His companies manage $100 million in assets comprising of over 1,300 units. Since 2010, he has raised over $10 million in equity. He focuses on the acquisition, redevelopment, and management of multifamily income-producing properties based in Indianapolis, Indiana. With that being said, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, certainly, Joe. Thanks again for having me. I'm lucky I got a taste for real estate pretty early. However, when I was seven, your dad could not be arrested for making you mow the lawn at his rental properties and do manual labor and and maintenance and whatnot. So I got a real hatred for manual labor at an early age, but realized very quickly that why would you not just want to own a lot of real estate, sit back, let the checks roll in versus getting a real job. Turns out years later, it is a real job, but we do love doing it. So went to IU, Indiana University, studied real estate there. Great program. Nothing you can't pick up in a book, but it was certainly nice to go through college knowing what I wanted to do. Got out and was very fortunate in working with a real estate developer for almost eight years. But in some ways, it was a big distraction from why I got into the game in the first place, which is cash flow. However, did get to learn a lot. Felt like I got my MBA in real estate, learning a lot from him and how he did things. And his line of work or his business model really went away when the Great Recession hit and everything fell off a cliff. 
And that was when, through a lot of soul searching, decided it was time to start my own business, which was Baird Asset Management today, BAM. And we manage other people's properties, both small and large. And I spend most of my time now focused on syndicating multifamily apartment projects, specifically raising capital, working with financing, and making those projects come to fruition. So you do third-party management and you manage your own properties, right? Yeah. So when I started, I needed a way to get cash flow in, pay the bills, and I have my broker's license, so I'm able to do that in the state of Indiana. And I've been doing it for a while on a couple of properties that I owned and also here and there as one-off deals for, for smaller clients. So I finally figured out, hey, this is something that nobody else wants to do. And the people that are doing it aren't really doing it that well. I can bring my skill sets with technology and people to bear with management. And that's what got me cash flowing and got better deal flow that way and also got some credibility as I went after my own deals. I'm going to ask a very tactical question, then we'll go higher level. What property management software do you use? For the longest time, we used PropertyWare for everything. We found that that's really good with the one to four family stuff that we still manage. With the larger products, we've switched to Appfolio for our larger apartment projects. And why'd you go with them? Well, that'd be a question I'd have to ask my accountant to get the final answer on. But basically, it deals a lot with the accounting of it and what she needed and and the reports that our clients want. All right. So let's talk higher level. How many units does your company own or control right now versus the third party? Somewhere in the mid 600s. And that is special purpose entities per deal that I have an ownership or controlling interest in. Mm -hmm. Few of the smaller ones are just me. And then at a very early point, I started taking on more partners and doing more formal communications. The balance from mid 600s up to somewhere around 1300 is third party management. And those are anywhere from small single-family home portfolios to apartment projects as well. The 600, are they in Indianapolis where you live and work? We started branching out into smaller cities that are still in the Indianapolis solar system, if you will. But we've gone out into the little markets around us as a means of finding better value than right in the city of Indy. What's a business model play for a tertiary market outside of Indy? Well, a great example is a little city, Anderson, northeast of Indianapolis, long time in the slump of unsuccessfully decoupling from that manufacturing base that so many small towns were here in the Midwest. We started looking at it a couple years ago and realized that it's starting to tick out of that with some more advanced manufacturing, diversifying its employment base, a casino's come in there. A few other larger employers are are taking interest in making economic development investments. So we started looking at that market thinking, okay, that's going to start to turn. It might emerge out of that low end of the cycle. So great example, that same product that I bought up there, 1960s vintage, 89 units, a lot of improvements already done by the last operator. That product in Indianapolis would cost me Thirty-five dollars to $45,000 a door. I go to Anderson. The rent is about 15 maybe 18% less, 
and we were able to pick up that project for nineteen thousand six hundred the door. And what do you do with it? You said the previous owner put some money into it, so you bought it for nineteen thousand six hundred door. Then what? That's really a momentum play on the cash flow. We knew we could come in and manage it a little bit better. There's an issue in that market where if your credit's anything less but stellar, you have to put down what might amount to half a month's rent or almost a full month's rent just to get your electric turned on. So we figured out that the smart landlords were including electric and then just charging back to the tenants rather than those blue-collar tenants having to having to push that stone uphill and get something done they couldn't get done. And we knew that we could come into this particular apartment complex and start instituting that program. It was from a loan by a mom and pop that hadn't realized yet that they could do that. They were out of town. And so there we were able to simply rearrange what the landlord pays for, what the tenant pays for, which might seem counterintuitive that we're rolling that back into paying the electric bill by the landlord. But it's to a point where we modeled our five-year revenue, and right now we are two years ahead of schedule on the top line, the revenue for that project. Wow. Did I hear that right? You made it from a separately metered essentially to a master metered, not from a mechanical standpoint, but just from an offering standpoint? Correct. In that particular market, because you're dealing with a lot of blue-collar folks, the local utility company again, will charge exorbitant deposits for people to put that electric bill in their name. And so we've reverse engineered that and we've got waiting lists, I think of 10 people right now wanting to move into our property. I've never heard of that. That's fascinating. How do you protect against someone like winter right now, turning the heat on, going to work and it being 85 degrees in their apartment all day long and you're taking the brunt of that if that is electric heat? All the heat there is boiler. Okay. So I guess just electricity, then just keeping the lights on and whatever else is electric. How do you prevent from the electric expenses per unit being out of control? Well, there's something that I've, I'm thoroughly addicted to in the last couple of years that I think is a game changer, and you'd probably agree with, that once you get above that number of units that enable you rather to have on-site staff, it really becomes a game changer. So it might not be something I would do on a smaller property, but because I've got a full-time manager there and she reports to an asset manager back here at the mothership and there's a few other eyeballs looking at those things, you can't stop it completely, but you can certainly audit it more quickly and hopefully nip it in the bud. But how exactly with someone, and thank you for mentioning that, but how does that work? (laughs) Is it just her presence? It would literally be just looking at their electric bills. And and I think there's some provision or at least it says, if your electric bill is higher than the $100 a month we're charging you, we can charge you additional costs. That's probably the bottom line that you're looking for. Got it. Okay, cool. And you'll be reimbursed whatever those additional costs are there for you have a top-line range of what you can budget for worst-case scenario for electric. And really, even if we didn't have that, if I'm the guy that's got a waiting list and the other people that that force the resident to pay those electric bills are struggling to fill units, I'd rather let a few pennies roll out the door at 100% occupancy than the reverse. Yeah, because there's that deposit that you're mentioning that they know if they leave your apartment community unless they're buying a house, 
that they're going to have to put down a good chunk of change for another apartment and that will encourage them to pay rent on time and to be a good resident. That's a great point. There's another incentive there, a carrot, or and I look at it, a stick for staying. <laughs> so, and these folks aren't buying a house anytime soon. That's right. not the tenants we're typically renting to. Mm-hmm. This was really, as you said, a cash flow play there. Did you do any capital improvements or is it just cash flow optimizing operations and holding on to it? So I'm asking you two questions. I usually don't. And exiting in five years? Well, to answer your first question, this is one of the first deals I've done at the larger scale where we're really just optimizing, like you said, operations and cash flow. We're typically going in with our HUD financing and using a big pile of new capital to make lots of improvements to raise rent. That's the typical play we're moving versus this one. The second question, because we've been able to go in there and, and do all this optimization, the likely exit is going to be a refinance to a permanent loan on Fannie or Freddie second likely option would be to sell it, take that cash and go go do something else with it. Typically more long-term minded. You have investors in this deal? Yes. How do you structure it with them? Pretty standard syndication. We're doing 80-20 my equity to investor equity. We're typically paying a 7 or 8% pref and we're typically doing 70-30, 70 to investor, 30 to us of any surplus above the pref. And what's your acquisition fee, if any? Typically, it's 1.75%, and we roll that back into the deal as part of our skin in the game, as well as hard cash. And do you have an asset management fee? No. BAM, my management company, handles asset management and property management, and we typically show an all-in management fee. So on a 89-unit uh, project like Anderson, we're going to charge a 5% management fee, which includes the asset management of it as well. What's something that you learned when you were working with the developer for eight years that you've applied towards your business now? <laughs> That's a great question, Joe. Thanks. What I learned, as Warren Buffett said, when the tide went in and we saw who always swimming naked, What I learned was if you're going to be in actual real estate development in the speculation end of the spectrum, you better have a lot of cash, a lot of staying power, a lot of dry powder, or be independently wealthy. My boss was most of those things, came out unscathed, and I realized very quickly I'm never going to be him. And so I started rereading all the books that my dad gave me that I discovered in college, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and some others, and realized I'd gotten completely off of why I got into the business in the first place, which was creating value and driving cash flow. And that's what you centered your business around now. Absolutely. After seeing everything and the height of the market, it became a part of my DNA that I'm in this for the long run and the recurring cash flow side of things has been going out and looking to just make big lump sums. Those are nice when they happen, but they're a lot less predictable and tougher to forecast. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Find a formula that fits with you and stick to that one formula. You can decide to move on later, but one formula at a time. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right, let's do it. First though, a quick word from our best ever partners. 
Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Are you looking to boost your investment returns? then MC Laubscher has a unique strategy to maximize the use of every dollar. If you're interested to learn more about infinite banking, you can request your free copy of Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash from MC. Just email MC at info at cashflowninja.com. That's I-N-F-O at cashflowninja.com. Best ever book you've read. Boy, contact me for categories for those, but right now I would say it's anti-fragile. Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it? One of my early apartment deals, I made every mistake in the book. The one saving grace is that I was a snob about the location of the apartment complex, and that location would save what saved me from having to turn the keys in. What would be a couple mistakes that you think others might not recognize if they didn't go through that experience that you want to share? You've got to look at 150 to 200 deals to find one good apartment deal. And if you haven't looked at that many deals, that's a big red flag. People can get overzealous and just want to get in the game. And when you're going after apartment projects, the profits are amplified, but so are the mistakes. And then when you're looking at those deals, is there anything that you look for in particular tying back to your philosophy or any type of deals that are too risky for you? We're looking for very stabilized assets that are reasonably well run that we can pair HUD financing with and put long-term debt on it. And with that HUD long-term debt, we're able to put in a leveraged pool of capital to make improvements. So we're looking for deals where that improvement dollar will translate into 50, 75, $150 a door in rent increases. Again, stabilized deals. We're not looking for any major makeover or full redevelopment deals at this time. Those eight years with the developer did make a mark, didn't it? (laughs) What's the best ever deal you've done? So far, it is 237 units here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And why is that the best ever? We got it for a great price, less than $50,000 a door in a market where we should be able to raise rents $100 a door. Our financing came in above expectations, so we'll have a pool of capital, a little over $2 million, to put in new improvements to the property. And because the way our financing is set up, I can finance $2 million worth of improvements if it's a good deal with only an extra $400,000 of equity capital. Best ever way you like to give back? Right now, my wife really pushes me to actually give time which is hard for me to do, but I think it's critical for people to actually roll their sleeves up and give some time back of their own. Other than that, every so many doors we buy, we're trying to sponsor more kids through programs that help needy children. And what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Ooh, you know, mistakes are stepping stones, Joe, but if I could jump in a time machine, I would go back and tell that young guy working for a developer to start his own thing much earlier. What's the best way the best ever listeners can reach you? Phone number 
762-2625. My email is ivan at barrettassetmanagement.com. B-A-R-R-A-T-T. Thank you for being on the show talking about how you've grown your business and the lessons learned along the way with the first deal all the way to your best ever deal, how you structure it with investors and the takeaways on that 89 unit. Really interesting stuff, buying in tertiary markets and doing the, not necessarily a value play, but rather optimizing the operations and that reverse engineering on the master metered with electric. I haven't come across that. That's fascinating stuff. I have another kind of bullet point when I'm looking at value add opportunities. I used to always pass on master metered electric, but perhaps if it is individually metered, maybe it does make sense in some case. Well, it does in your case to offer that based on the market parameters. So really interesting. Thank you for sharing that creative insight and as well as your overall career path. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Are you looking to boost your investment returns? Then MC Laubscher has a unique strategy to maximize the use of every dollar. If you're interested to learn more about infinite banking, you can request your free copy of Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash from MC. Just email MC at info at cashflowninja.com. That's I-N-F-O at cashflowninja.com.